So as I said at the beginning, we are looking at what it means to live an authentic spiritual life, which is on the first slide. And we're looking at this part of the Sermon on the Mount. That section, Matthew 5, is there, it's famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus opens this chapter, if you look at verse 1, chapter 6, he opens it by warning us about how we practice our righteousness, is the phrase he uses. If you look down, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And the last couple of weeks, we've seen what does that mean to practice giving to the needy people? What does it mean to practice praying? And to do those things with an attitude that's not about ourselves and gaining a reputation, looking good before other people, But what does it mean to practice those things for God, for his glory, um, about our relationship with him? And so living an authentic spiritual life, a life that's that's real, that's genuine, that's truly Christ-centred, one where we as children of our Heavenly Father live for him, seeking to follow him and grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And This evening, we've come to fasting. Now, in previous weeks, I have, rightly or wrongly, taken it for granted that um, you give and you pray. But I'm not quite sure I could do that with fasting. I don't know. Jesus says, verse 2, when you give. Verse 5, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. There's this just natural expectation Jesus has that we all do these things. We, we give, we pray, we fast as part of our Christian experience. But is that true for fasting? Is that true in your life, fasting? I thought I might um, do a quick straw poll among a few people at MRC this week just to find out who fasts and who doesn't fast just to kind of see what, it, what it's like. And the results revealed to me that lots of people, including myself, have at some point in our, in, in our lives fasted in the past. But most of us, including myself, wouldn't say that we regularly fast as a spiritual discipline in our life. And when I say fasting, what do I mean? Well, I guess a brief definition that we'll expand on as we go is that fasting is abstaining from something that's usually food, for a period of time so that we can pray. So it's abstaining from something to pray. And those things, I think, it's important that they go together. We're not just not doing something, but that we're using that time to then pray. And so, so what about you? If you're not one of the people I ask those questions to, what about you? Have you ever fasted? Are you somebody who fasts regularly as a part of your spiritual life? I don't know about you, but fasting is it's not something that I've experienced much. It's not something I've heard taught a lot about in church. In churches I've been in, it's not been something that's particularly been encouraged or discouraged. But I wonder, maybe like prayer... It's something that can just easily just be left to the side. We are distracted by a million and one things. The busyness of life. So many things 
grabbing our attention, fighting for our time, that we don't have the space to fast. Or whether, as we thought about praying, a reason we don't pray sometimes is that we're just not dependent upon God enough. Well, so too, if fasting includes us being dependent upon God, well, we don't do it because we think we can get by pretty fine on our own. And maybe we don't fast simply because we like our food too much. And giving up a meal is too much like hard work. I know historically in the church wider, the Protestant church particularly, there's been this fear of, of, of fasting, particularly going against Catholic teaching of what fasting is. And out of the Reformation, Christians tended to go very far in the opposite direction. Fasting for the Catholic Church became this penance, a way of self-discipline, of self-punishment almost, that we do this, then it's going to help us gain credit with God. And of course, we want to flee from that kind of teaching. Salvation is by grace alone. But I wonder whether we've gone way too far that fasting has just dropped off the end. Maybe fasting, we don't hear a lot about it, because there's not a lot of teaching on it. Particularly when we compare it with giving and praying, fasting doesn't come up as much in the New Testament as those things. So, uh, this evening, what do we do with this topic? How should we approach fasting? What should our attitude be towards this practice? Well, I hope that as we go through just these three verses this evening, that we'll, we'll see that fasting along with prayer, both together, that is something that, that we should be involved in as Christians. But it's something that connects us with our God. We've been thinking about communing with him, particularly last week in prayer, our relationship with him, with our Heavenly Father. It's something that deepens our spiritual walk with him. It's something that helps grow our dependence upon him. It's showing that we are dependent upon him rather than other things as we together seek to live an authentic spiritual life. So, let's start and first look at that very first phrase that we have taken for granted over the last few weeks. When you, so when you fast. Verse 16, when you fast. I think it would be helpful to spend a bit of time just thinking about what the Bible says generally about fasting before we then get into the, the wrong attitude and the right attitude um, and things like that. You might know, you might not know that fasting is not something that's just found in the Bible. It's not something that just Christians do or Jews do. But there are many religions in the world who practice fasting in different ways. So the, the Buddhists, when they're in quite an intense period of meditation, they will fast. Hindus fast as a way of showing their dedication to their gods. Muslims, I'm sure we all know, have a month, the month of Ramadan, when they fast. But even perhaps more modern, new age, spiritual ideologies also promote fasting in different ways. So if you do yoga, um, then they will encourage you to fast, to help connect your inner spirit to, well, who knows what. Your doctor may even prescribe fasting as a way to help with a particular issue you may have as part of your treatment. So fasting is, is something that, that goes on in the world around us. But of course, as Christians, we want to know what the Bible says about fasting. 
And if you go to your Old Testament, actually fasting is only commanded one time. Leviticus chapter 16, we have the Day of Atonement. The big, important day in the Jewish calendar. A day, an annual day that happens where the main big sacrifices happen in the temple. It's the day when the high priest, the only day in the whole year that he's allowed to go into the most holy place of the temple to make sacrifices, to atone for the sins of Israel. You can read it later if you want, in Leviticus 16, but there it's described to us the scene of what goes on, the high priest and what he has to do and washing himself, the clothes he has to wear, the sacrifices he has to make before he then makes for the, for the nation. And that the whole event is solemn, it's serious. The nation gather together to repent, to seek atonement for their sins. And what's required of everybody else is that they fast. Not just food, but they're fasting other things as well during that day. And God says, this is a little section from Leviticus 16, God says to them, that this day of atonement, this is a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves, that would include fasting from food, and not do any work, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest. And you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. And so they fasted from food, from other pleasures, and they were commanded to do this every year repeatedly. And so for them, fasting in this context is is about repentance. It's about reconnecting with God. It's about their relationship. It's done in an an attitude of of mourning and of, of seriousness. But as you go through the Old Testament and as you see the nation of Israel grow and and change, there are other times when certain people fast for different reasons. For example, King David. 2 Samuel 12. He's confronted about his sin, his adultery with Bathsheba, and he fasts and he prays. The son that's born to him is ill and is dying and he longs for that child to live. So he fasts and he prays, seeking God. Nehemiah, another example, a man who led people back into, back into the lands after their exile and he gathered them together to fast and to pray in repentance for sin. What about Saul of Tarsus? Saul, who we know as Paul. After his road to Damascus experience, he spends three days without eating or drinking. So all these examples are of people who are fasting to seek God. There's that attitude of repentance, of communing with him, of showing their dependence upon God. But then in the Old Testament there are also examples of different kind of fasting. Still seeking to be with God, seeking him, dependence upon God. But some examples to do with seeking God for the future, perhaps seeking God's help in a particular situation, a certain trouble, a certain crisis that might be going on. So you, someone like Esther, for example, famously called the people of God to fast. 
during a particular period of trouble. If you know the story of Abeste, you have this man, Haman, a nasty character. He is second in command to the big, great king of Persia. But he's also someone who hates the Jews, and he wants to get rid of the Jews. And so he has a plan to kill them. But Esther, being queen, is in a wonderful position to do something about it. But it means that she has to approach the king without an invitation, which is a certain death sentence. And so she asks people to pray and to fast. We need God's help to intervene in this situation. Well then again, in the New Testament, think of the apostles. There are a couple of times in Acts when they get together to pray and to fast, seeking God, seeking his wisdom, seeking his guidance. We read Acts 13, verse 2 and 3. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, this is the apostles together, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So again, there's lots of different examples of people who came to God needing him, needing his help, his wisdom, his forgiveness, his action in life. Whether they were before Jesus or after Jesus, they prayed and they fasted. And again, those things go hand in hand. And so whatever the fast was, they were seeking to commune with him. Why? Because they, they needed God. It wasn't about them proving themselves. It wasn't about them doing works to gain credit with God or merit with him. It was that as they were hungry physically, that drove them to prayer and drove them to their dependence upon God, the one who really supplies all of our needs, as we thought about this morning in the Lord's Prayer. So, our definition of fasting again. Fasting is abstaining from food, or whatever, for a period of time to seek God in prayer, being dependent upon him, for a particular need, for a particular situation. But what does that mean for you? What does that mean for us today? I think it's really important that we, as Christians, put these things into the right context, and that we fast. When we fast, we don't fast like Old Testament Jews. Those who are looking forward to the Messiah coming, fasting, longing for him, longing for true salvation. We fast in light of the fact that he has come. As Christians, we live this side of the cross, and so we've seen Jesus fulfill that day of atonement. He was the one who came and sacrificed himself on the cross. Through him, he has made Atonement once for all. There's no need for a repeated sacrifice year after year seeking God's forgiveness. It's all been done by Jesus. It's completed. It's finished. And as Christians we live this side of the resurrection as well. Therefore we know Christ has come but we also know that Christ is coming back. And so our fasting is in light of his return as well. 
we hunger and we desire and we seek and we long for him now, in the everyday, but also in life of the fact that he will return. And when he returns, well, there will be no more need for fasting, for there will be a wedding feast. There will be complete satisfaction in him. I find it quite interesting as I was studying up on, on fasting to look at Jesus himself. Of course we know Jesus fasted in the wilderness. He had those 40 days. You can read about it in, in Matthew 4. There he was um, being tempted by the devil those 40 days and he fasted. But, but apart from that, it doesn't seem that Jesus fasted. In Matthew chapter 9, the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and said, why, why don't you fast? Why don't your disciples fast like we do? And Jesus' answer is it's intriguing. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. So notice that Jesus links fasting with mourning, as we've seen, this idea of of repentance, of deliverance, of of needing God, a hungering for him, a dependence upon him. But he also shows us that that while the bridegroom is here, the bridegroom being a metaphor for the Messiah, for Jesus, while he is there, the wedding guests, which are the disciples, there's no need for them to fast because Jesus is with them. He's right there. They have access to him. They are dependent upon him there and then. But when the bridegroom's gone, when Jesus leaves, then they will fast. Their fasting is still a hungering and a still a longing for, for him, for satisfaction, for help, for guidance, for dependence. For wisdom, for God to be at work in their lives and through them. But it's in light of his, also for his return. Ultimately hungering for him that he would come back. Say with all these things in mind, I hope you're still with me. What does it mean for fasting here? What is going on in the context that Jesus is speaking into you? What's the attitude, the wrong attitude that we see of these hypocrites? To the wrong way, the wrong way to fast. Look down at verse 16 again. Jesus says, When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If you were a good Jew in the day of Jesus, then you would fast. You would probably fast twice a week, a Monday and a Thursday. But as you can imagine, the, the charge to give up food, to go without, in an attitude of repentance, of seeking God, can very easily become a competition. Who can fast the longest? Who can fast the hardest? Who can appear to be suffering the most? as they discipline themselves, as they seek God, as they be spiritual. And Jesus describes what they do, how they go out of their way to show others 
that they're fasting. If you've ever gone without food, then you'll know that naturally it takes a little bit of time before you start sharing signs of, of hungering. But these guys were disfiguring their faces. They were going about putting ash on their faces, probably, to make themselves look pale, to look ill. They wouldn't wash, they wouldn't comb their hair. They'd wear sackcloth, which was a, a sign of repentance. They would just walk around gloomy and sad, so that it's clear and obvious to everybody that they're, that they're fasting. Not only fasting, but they're really fasting. That they're serious in their efforts. And so, therefore, the lower their head, the gloomer they look, the more unkept their dress would therefore mean that they are more worthy of admiration and respect. Look, he's fasting. But it's, it's quite ironic. Because the word Jesus uses for disfigure in the original language is a word that means to make disappear, to destroy, to ruin. And so as they do that to themselves, to make themselves nothing, to get the praise of people around them, ironically, they're making themselves nothing before God, the one that truly matters. And in sight of God, well, Jesus, Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Just like when we thought about giving so that people would honour us, or praying, so people will be impressed. So they fasted, so people would see and give them praise. Praise is what they wanted, and praise for man is all that they got. If you are somebody who fasts, then it can be easy for us to fall into that too, to try and promote the fact that we're fasting. And fasting is something that it is admirable, isn't it? It requires sacrifice to go without food or to go without whatever we usually are dependent upon. It's hard work. It's, there's a little bit of suffering involved. There's discipline. And so when we work hard, we want recognition and we want people to see it. Here are some of the ways that I have, I've heard or I've even witnessed myself about people showing that they are fasting. Maybe they choose to fast on a day that they have church lunch. They'll still come to church lunch or any gathered meal. They'll sit there quietly and they'll humbly wait until someone asks them, why aren't you eating? Then of course with inverted pride they say, oh, I'm fasting. Or maybe they've simply dropped it into conversation. They've commented on how hungry they feel. As you hear the rumbles in the tummy. Maybe they walk around glum and sad thinking that true spirituality is about how glum you can look. Or maybe they're just people who have fasted quietly, privately, seeking just to, to go without a meal, but not using that time to pray, to seek God. I will confess, I've done this, I've decided I'm going to fast today. I fast one meal, I may do a little bit of praying, and I think, that'll do. <laughs> And I'll carry on. Is that really what it's about? People have fasted to get people's approval. 
Or simply to justify ourselves, to say, hey, we've done something spiritual, we've fulfilled our religious duty here. But actually there's been no real connection with God, no real prayer. Jesus says, you have received your reward in full. As we come to the third of these um, ways of practicing our righteousness tonight, giving and praying and fasting. If you've been here the last three weeks, I don't know how you've been feeling and responding to the challenge that Jesus gives us here about our attitude towards those things. It has been challenging. It has been for me and I don't want to be somebody who lives my life seeking the reputation of other people, seeking glory for myself when it should go to him. But that's, that's what my heart's like. What I want is, as Jesus says here, to really commune with my Heavenly Father, to know Him and to connect with Him and to receive from Him. I want to want the reward of knowing Jesus better, of growing in my faith, of spending time with Him, rather than the just quick praise of people that just drifts away. So how do we? How do we fast? What is the the right way? How do we really commune with our Father? And Jesus says, verse 17, But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It was custom for Jewish people, as of course it is for us, that they wash, and that we wash. They would use oil on their heads to prevent their skin from drying out. That's reasonable. They didn't have Nivea or boots where they could get moisturiser for their skin. There's no L'Oreal shampoo to make their hair shine. They have oil, and that's what oil did to help them and keep them clean and make them look presentable. And so, of course, for the hypocrites, they would refrain from using oil so their skin would dry out and it would be obvious that they're fasting. or just lazy. Jesus says, you know, when you fast, keep yourself clean. Don't go around looking shabby. He doesn't say deceive people by making yourself look so well that it's impossible to know that you're fasting. That would be going from one type of hypocrisy to another type of hypocrisy. He just says to go about what you would normally do day by day. Maintain your hygiene. Wash your face and brush your hair. Because fasting is it's not about impressing other people. It's not about how long you fast for or how hard it is. It's about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He who is unseen. As you've seen, fasting is a time usually without food to focus on, on prayer, on communing with him, on our relationship. A time when we can come in confession, in repentance, seeking his forgiveness. A time when we can come longing for more of him, the, the life he gives, the hope, the peace, the satisfaction in hard times of our life. 
It's a time when we can come to seek his help, his wisdom, his power, his intervention in the circumstances that we face. It's all about our need for him. As we put aside the needs around us, things that we so often can put our dependence upon, whether that's food or other things, we live our lives as if God isn't there because we have all that we have, all that we need. Food is, is just there for us, as Dan showed us this morning. We, it's just in our cupboards or in our freezers. But when we spend time going without, we recognize our need for Him who really provides. And so Jesus says, when you do this, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There was a pastor somewhere in Asia who wanted to run a big mission in his town. And he and other pastors came up against some quite severe opposition from the police and they they couldn't do it. So they decided to go and fast. They'd never fasted before in their lives. But they thought, "Let's, let's go and do it. They were so eager to preach the gospel. They were so passionate to see their town saved that they prayed, they sought God. They wanted to have their dependence upon Him, for Him to be at work and bring a breakthrough in the situation. And so they did. And after several days of fasting, the the police came to the pastor and they said, you've changed our minds. You can go ahead and do your mission. And so they praised God for that. But they praised God that the mission went on and many, many people became Christians. One man tells of how fasting for him really helps him in his spiritual growth. As he fasts, as he prays, as he commits himself at a certain time in the year to do this, he tells that as he suffers from the physical hunger, it exposes sin in his life. The hunger pangs reveal anger. They reveal idols. They reveal the true things that he trusts in in his life. When he fasts, he, he, he's shown the real things that he lusts after, lusts after in the world. And it leads him to repentance. A time where he can come closer to God. Now, the New Testament doesn't prescribe when we should fast doesn't tell us what we should fast for it doesn't say how long we should fast for it doesn't appear that fasting is only food I think it is mainly food and I think food is probably a good thing for us to fast there are examples in the New Testament where people fast other things but fasting is kind of up to us Perhaps. Maybe people fast before major decisions, before getting a new job or getting married or other life decisions. Maybe people choose to fast during a particularly difficult time in their life. People fast and pray for, for those serving God in other places in the world. Praying and fasting that God would intervene in a particular situations, whether that is at home or somewhere in the world. People choose to fast and pray for the health of people who are ill. Whatever it is that we choose to fast, let's remember that fasting is a 
time when we come to God in prayer to seek Him, to hunger for more of Him, to step out in faith and show Him that we are dependent upon Him for all things. And I pray that it be our prayer that when we fast, that we truly do commune with Him, that the Lord meets with us, that He speaks, that He helps, that He intervenes, that He leads us, that He grows us and shapes us and changes us as Christians. Let's pray that God would help us to consider fasting if it's something that we've not considered before. May fasting be something that helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves, to look to Him, to hunger for more of Him, to be satisfied in Jesus alone, and to do all that, just longing that He would come back, longing that He would return, that we can truly be with Him. And enjoy a feast. No longer fasting, but feasting with our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge, the challenges of the last three weeks seeing how we live our Christian lives so often in order to gain a reputation for others to see the things that we do. And yet, Lord, when we do that, we miss out so much in our relationship with you. So, Father, please help us. Help us to want to have time with you. Please forgive us when we are so dependent upon ourselves or upon the world around us and we neglect you. But may we take time to fast, to pray, to seek you, to seek your face, longing that you would satisfy us, longing that you would um, be at work in our lives, in our church, in our community. And that all of these things would be for your glory and for your fame. Amen.